You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, Brexit is delayed once again. Um, happy Halloween, it seems, uh, in the next uh, six months. There is the uh, another deadline to look forward to. Um, Britain will remain in the European Union until Halloween this year, unless, of course, um, we can agree uh, a means of departure. Before then, it doesn't feel very likely as we sit here today. But of course, as we know, the least likely option often happens. So let's not rule anything out. But it certainly seems like we're in the European Union for the foreseeable. And that means European parliamentary elections, um, something for pollsters to grapple with and something for us uh, Politico watchers um, to look at with, uh, look at very closely and see what happens. Um, and we're going to be talking about some of these issues today and also um, the prospect of no deal. Is that now finished or could it be um, on the distant horizon um, yet still? I'm joined, as ever, to cover some of these issues and others that will come up um, by fellow podcaster Leo Barassi. Leo, welcome. Hello, Kieran. So, um, trick or treat, I think, is the the buzzword of, of the day. Um, what have you made of what we've seen in the last twenty four hours? Well, I'm pretty excited about the elections. I don't know about you. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad it doesn't look like there's an imminent general election, but it does seem like we've got. Oh, who are you kidding, Kieran? Come on. Well, Any, anyone who's uh, recording a polling podcast has got to be pretty excited about any kind of election coming up. Well, yes, I think it probably let, let me get a couple of months under the the belt at Ipsos first. I think, but um, no, we've got um, May local elections, of course, before um, Europeans. But I mean, we'll be talking about Europeans um, today. Um, I mean, I, I just, I just thought, I don't know about you, I, I just thought looking at what happened in the last sort of 48 hours that now it's the first time now that I can see how Brexit just doesn't happen at all. Um, and until today, I've, I've kind of always thought, no, there's this end date, there's this end deadline. Um, okay, it got moved a, month, a couple of months. Um, but there's this whole March deadline, um, Article 50 and so on. Now it's been kicked into the long grass again. You can just see how that keep happen- keeps happening. And the longer Brexit doesn't happen, um, the greater the possibility that some sort of political event comes along which uh, puts power in the hands potentially of the Labour Party or potentially in the hands of a different Labour leader even in the future who comes along and says, I, I don't want to do Brexit anymore. And of course, the longer... Well, I mean, one of, one of the fascinating things that you get happening quite a bit around this, and maybe it's sort of a process that comes from... Uh, all the political journalists being forced to be in one place all at the same time. But you see sort of accepted wisdoms emerging and becoming established and sometimes disappearing and sometimes sometimes not disappearing. I mean, uh, I think there was one a uh, few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, that, that sort of suddenly it emerged that the People's Vote campaign had failed and that there definitely wasn't going to be a second referendum. And I think that has, is sort of beginning to be reversed a bit. Um, I think the the sort of the accepted view that uh, a general election is a possibility is something that sort of uh, suddenly emerged and got got quite popular among political journalists and I don't know perhaps has begun to we've perhaps passed peak hype on the the potential of there being a general election coming up um, and then I think again this point you make now that uh, there could be no Brexit altogether uh, so I, I get I get the point but. I think we also have to watch against just sort of buying into this is now the thing that the political journalists start talking about and that that determines what we think is possible and what we think isn't possible. Because I think whilst that does shape reality a bit, I, I feel like there's a sort of, there's a, a herding here uh, that, that everyone could be prone to of, of sort of what's what's on the table and what isn't. Well, well as you know, I've always been a bit more um, 
is it bullish or bearish? I never, I forget which way around it is. I've always thought No Deal is more likely than other, than other people have um, have, have assumed. And even now, I think that's probably true. Um, even though Brexit's been sort of delayed, it does look like there's no appetite for no deal on the um, British or European side. Um, maybe a, maybe a change in Conservative leader and a general election, and we'll come to this later, um, can, can change the dynamics there. Um, but I just think on the no, on the Bre- no Brexit point, it's just a statement of fact, isn't it? We were supposed to leave um, in March. That's been delayed. Um, there's clearly a precedent now for extensions as a means of... Um, you know, avoiding no deal or kicking the can down the road, and the longer it doesn't happen, the more chance it just won't. Right? I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's about Westminster groupthink. I just think it's about just the reality on the ground. Yeah. Okay. I think I mean, there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that as an argument. I guess um, what I'm trying to get at is perhaps that was always possible. Um, you know, if if we don't have any new information really that we didn't have a little while ago, other than it's indeed not possible for uh, Parliament to reach a consensus, and they're not prepared to go for the for no deal. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. But I feel like um, we should we shouldn't overcorrect in our view about about where we are. It's mm. I guess it's possible, but. I certainly wouldn't rate no Brexit as as very likely at the moment, at least without a, a, a second referendum confirmatory vote, people's vote, whatever we're calling it. So what this means now for sure, if there's one thing we can be certain of, is <laughs> famous last words, is that they, there are going to be European parliamentary elections and it looks like um, Britain will take part in them. Um, bookmark this, folks, for when uh, the May's deal passes next week, although I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so that does give an opportunity, doesn't it, to um, some of these uh, smaller parties that have very defined, um, strong uh, views on Brexit on both sides. So on the uh, second referendum, Remain side, you've got Change UK, the independent group, and so on. Uh, you've also got other smaller parties uh, that might... Uh, that, that, um, such as uh, the Greens, let's say, or the Lib Dems, and so on too. And on the Brexit side, you've got the Brexit Party and uh, and UKIP, who um, did uh, reasonably well in the um, Newport uh, by-election. So how do you see um, the European elections going? I mean, I guess it's a way away yet, um, but a real opportunity for either side of the debate. So I think we've got to be um, humble about our level of confidence um, about what's going to happen. Um polling on uh on the election at the moment i think is is still limited and we'll we'll get some of the numbers i'm sure but um you know certainly doesn't suggest that those uh uh newer parties the uh more clearly defined brexit or remain parties are, are dominating but i think there is there is potential for that to change um Last time I was I was on, I um, slightly rashly threw out the suggestion that the Brexit Party and Change UK could be could take the top two spots, um, and I was perhaps fairly taken to task uh, for that. Uh, I mean, it's it's essentially an argument for which there isn't really any data, um, and I think we've got to recognise that whilst a lot might, might change in terms of uh, voting intention, equally it's possible that not that much will change, and we might end up. On election day with uh, polling still reasonably similar to where it is now i think the single determining factor will be whether or not the european elections are interpreted as a proxy for a second referendum um if voters treat it as uh something that's entirely about um whether you want to stay or whether you want to to leave 
um, then I think that that will shape whether or not the the sort of the parties that are most clearly defined in those positions can benefit. I'm sure Labour will try and uh, frame it as a referendum on Theresa May and her government. And I guess the the sort of bre- the uh, European spin will be let's make it a referendum on her handling of Brexit. And if you if you uh, want to signal to Theresa May that you want a fresh uh, general election, you want to get rid of her, then vote Labour as as the main opposition party. I don't think that's an argument that people will really get because it doesn't sort of immediately follow why you're doing that in European elections and um, trying to come up with European policy um, on other social issues is just going to be really tricky. I mean, clearly people are going to be voting overwhelmingly on Europe with Brexit in mind. So I think I'm sort of talking myself background to thinking there is a very good chance of the smaller parties doing well. I think on the Brexit side, um, the uh, Farage's new Brexit party is probably the most clearly defined, even though it's obviously much newer than UKIP. It sort of feels like that is the party that should dominate on that side. I think the challenge for the remaining parties is that there are several of them. Uh, you mentioned UKIP and Greens, perhaps slightly unfairly in one breath as, as the small parties. Um but um, there's obviously, I mean, there's not there's not only the uh, independent group and or Change UK. There's also Renew, which did not terribly in the Newport by-election, got uh, 3.7%, which I think for a party that no one's heard of is not bad. Um, so there will be several competing for that. And I guess there will be a challenge for the independent group to be the... Uh, standard bearer of Remain as as I guess they'll need to be if they are to to be competing for one of the top three or four spots. My, my gut instinct looking at my gut instinct looking at things at the moment is that it's going to be easier at least in the short term for the Brexit Party to cut through, partly because of their name and Nigel Farage's um, sort of leadership there, um, very obviously associated with Leave, isn't he? And in a, in a way that yes, of course, the people that um, are, are, are leaders in Change UK are. Um, strong advocates for Remain, but I don't think they're the poster childs in the in the way that um, Farage is for his particular cause. We know that the Tory party is extremely divided um, over Brexit, and I feel like um, there, there, there's definitely a recipe for how the Leave side can do very well. The Remain side's trickier, I think, although I can still see how, yes, Change UK and so on might do well, because Labour are still trying to walk this tightrope of still of putting a people's vote on the table aren't they so i guess what's going to be interesting is whether or not they manage to get away with that in a european election because i'm a bit torn by how this might go um obviously you know turnout could be much higher than normal for a um, european election but it also might be a, a, a complete afterthought this election that doesn't really take off at all either way turnout's going to be lower than we would normally expect for a, certainly for a general election or something like that right i think we can be reasonably sure we're not going to get turnout in the 60s and or something like that i think we're going to have yeah, very yeah turnout's going to be re- relatively low compared to when we talk about second referendums and things i think we will have low turnout so that can go one of two ways either it can be um an asset of the, the labor party for example because it has its a- activist base that can try and get the vote out and so on and you know, it is a, it, there is the party machine and all the rest of it, and, it's, and the um, the party machine for the Brexit Party or for um, Change UK has not been tested yet, and certainly is unlikely to be as sophisticated as what you've got for Labour. But on the flip side, if turnout is very low, then you're going to have a sort of very specific electorate that is motivated specifically by Brexit, um, and is very high information voters and so on and so forth. 
that, exactly. that you'd, you'd yeah. imagine would not go or, for or the two main the one, parties. The ones who might be quicker to spot a new party. Yes, and, and also, I mean, we've done it to death on this podcast, so let's not relitigate it now, but we know that both the government and the leader of the opposition are very, very unpopular at the moment. So there's all the recipe, there's all the sort of um, conditions there for the other smaller parties to do very well, but let's see. I, th- I think, I guess, um, for people who are turning out in this as a special election that... Um, where the representatives are not expected to be sitting for long, so they're not going to have any power really to to decide policy. I guess I struggle to see what the argument is for voting for one of the main parties. I mean, if you're voting Tory in this, then essentially that's a signal that you like how Theresa May's handled Brexit and you you support her deal, which very, very few people now do. Mm. I think it's down to about 11% in the latest. Um, if you're voting Labour... I mean, the, I think their their ambiguous position on Brexit has benefited them significantly. But uh, when it comes to a question on Brexit, clearly, it is difficult to see what what they're trying to argue at that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I, I go back and forth on this. Like I say, that's the best I can do. I think that it's very obvious why the Conservative vote would plummet in this. Um, although I should say, you know, comparing it to the twenty. 14 election is difficult because bear in mind UKIP won that right so if, if we're comparing it like for like for five years ago it's um it becomes quite difficult but yeah you can see how the, the Tory vote struggles Labour's going to be a bit of an unknown for me and that's not saying that there's any reason I think Labour should necessarily do really well but at the same time if Labour did win the European elections I wouldn't be surprised because you, you can see a way how they managed to keep a certain level of core support out um managed to get that vote out even if it's down from where they were and because the the rest of the vote fractures all over the place, they manage to take the most seats. So I guess we'll have to I guess we'll have to see what happens with that. Yeah, should we? Um, I mean, there is one poll on this, and I think um, it's yes. it's of some use. So we've got um, yeah, go on. I was going to say we've got Hanbury um, is it Hanbury Strategies or something? Um, yeah, who have who, who have uh, produced so they're a British Polling Council member. For those of you that maybe haven't come across them before, and to be honest, I hadn't. I mean, they're not brand new. They've done a few polls for Politico, um, but not many. And I've got to admit that this is the first uh, poll of theirs that I've come across. I think. Let me just check. I think so. I think this is their first Westminster poll, or at least it's the first Westminster poll since um, the uh, 2017 election. So uh, I don't know if it's their first one ever, but um, certainly they are they are new on the block. Yeah, and I think the first thing to point out from their Westminster voting intention, because this gives you a good anchor as to what, how you might interpret the European ones, because they've done a Westminster voting intention poll and the European. Uh, Parliament poll. So they have Labour nine points ahead of the Conservatives for Westminster voting intention, Labour 40, Conservative 31. And there's no obvious sign there of um, Change UK or the Brexit Party or anything like that in the Westminster numbers because they have the Lib Dems on eight, UKIP on eight, Greens on five. And um, they've also got European... Par- incidentally, got- by the way, that nine-point lead for Labour, I hadn't realised that till now, but that's actually the biggest lead any poll has given Labour since the 2017 election. Um, it, so that's yeah, and I mean, much of an outlier it is. It sticks out. Let's put it that way. Um, and then, so in that context, their European parliamentary election numbers have—I mean, they've got them to one decimal place, which I always enjoy. Well, that is very accurate, isn't it? I mean, they must be doing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to get it that close, right? I mean, let's before we get into the nuances of margin for error, you know, when it, when that doesn't doesn't count and stuff. I think having point anything is a bit 
ambitious, but who knows? Um, they have Labour on thirty-eight. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna indulge thirty-seven point eight. So they have Labour on thirty-eight. Conservatives on twenty-three. Brexit Party ten. Lib Dems eight. UKIP eight. Change UK four. Um, SNP four. Greens four. So actually, what strikes me there, Brexit Party plus UKIP is eighteen. Um, I haven't actually gone through and added up all the potential Remain parties versus potential Leave parties. Though I should say that. Um, but yes, but that's, I, mean, I, I mean that's and that's strikingly high for. Brexit UKIP combined, which I get, I guess we've got to assume that they're pretty much fishing in the same pool of voters. There, I mean, I think I think it is actually worth doing what you just referred to there and just just adding them up together. I mean, if we put together Change UK Greens, I think SNP probably for the sake of this election could go together with them and Lib Dems. Then uh, we get about we get twenty percent. Um, now, so if you put those together with Labour, who I guess will be going to election saying that they're a pro referendum party i mean that's 58 percent so pretty comfortably uh majority you could could well see after the referendum that there's been a significant majority for parties wanting another referendum which i guess would be interesting as a uh, something that will be drawn on uh politically yeah the, only that the labor party will be the uh, the casting vote in that and they'll be saying the same thing presumably which is that oh, we want to deliver brexit but we may or may not have a referendum um well, well yeah of course we want a referendum as long as it's a tory brexit yeah but i mean it's worth pointing out on this with hanbury um so they are a reasonably new player in terms of public polling um so they use um data from uh, mobile apps um it seems to get their sample so it's not clear um, and, you know, someone from Hanbury do get in touch. It's not clear to me how this is sampled. I mean, it's weighted to be nationally representative by turnout and use, uses ONS data to get the sample representative and so on. Um, but it's data from smartphone apps um, that forms this sample. So, and it's also looking at their tables. I can only judge it on what they publish. So if this is wrong, do correct me. But I think looking at their tables, it would seem that they don't offer a don't know option um for the voting intention questions which is unusual um normally there is a don't know option um from memory around 20 percent tend to say don't know at the moment in voting uh, in westminster voting intention now they'll typically not always get either removed completely from the poll or there'll be some kind of squeeze question where um res you know, respondent is asked oh if you, if you had to vote how would you how would you vote or if, who do you most closely identify with and those sorts of people tend to get reallocated back into the headline figures one way or, or another. So, I mean, there's a couple of question marks over over the the, the sampling and the um the, the approach to that to these questions. And I suppose um, without any other polling at the moment on European Parliament elections, it's quite difficult to know for sure um, if this is the definitive picture that pollsters are presenting. Bear in mind, Ham Just, Hanbury do have uh, Labour nine points ahead with Westminster, which is unusual. One one other question I think is worth mentioning though is in there is um, they then uh, are uh, prompt specifically by talking about both Change UK and Brexit and ask how likely people would be to support those two parties. Um, Change UK made up of former Conservative and Labour MPs supports a second re referendum on Britain's exit from the EU. Brexit party led by Farage supports a no deal Brexit um, and they both get 
about the same total of likely plus very likely 28% for Brexit, 27% for change. Uh, change uh, so Brexit does a bit better on very likely, so 17% very likely versus uh, 12% very likely for change UK. So um, I guess that perhaps gives some estimate of where their votes could expand or the levels their votes might expand to if they do well in terms of media exposure. So um, about the same kind of level as Hanbury are uh, putting the top two parties on sort of very roughly. Yes. So, so I think I think if, if I'm going to make a conclusion from what we know so far is that really we've got to wait and see what other polling um, what other polling comes out from from Hanbury and others uh, in the coming weeks, which I'm sure there will be lots of it. Um, perhaps we will we'll do some as well, Ipsos. Um, I mean, I, I tweeted uh, yesterday that for my money, EU election polling needs to be taken with a dousing of salt at the minute. Is it, you know, is the election happening? Will turnout be lower, higher than normal? Will small parties catch on? Will there be a campaign as such? So many unknowns. And I think that, you know, again, maybe that's a cop out, a bit of Nate Silver style, you know, there's, there's lots of different possibilities of what might happen. But I think at the moment it's true. We have to wait and see whether or not these smaller parties genuinely can catch on, whether the um, election itself captures the imagination of enough people to matter. Um, you know, Inevitably, these things tend to end up being spin games after the fact. You can see a world, can't you, Leo, where um, the debate becomes you know, whether there's a majority for people's vote parties or not, whether there's a majority for Remain parties versus uh, Leave parties. And then you can also see, even in a world where it seems like, on face value, there might be a sort of people's vote majority from the European elections, well, the Leave side are saying, hang on a minute, turnout wasn't that high anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, this can't tell us anything. So, I mean, it, it, we, we've covered enough local elections, for example, haven't we, to know that you, know, you can learn things from them, um, from other elections that aren't Westminster. Um, but at the same time, it's very easy to spin one way or another. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think um, the, I guess the spin that seems most relevant that will come out of this is sort of what this now means in terms of what the public want the uh, for Brexit and sort of the, the Brexit negotiations to be um, to be taken forward, which yeah. you know. I guess is sort of different from usual debate of what this now means for Westminster politics and is, is quite specific. But again, I think that will be a reflection on how far these elections are seen as a, as a referendum on Brexit. And of course, we will have the local elections, which we'll talk about in, a, in, in another episode uh, in between now and then, which are going to create an added data point um, for, for what's going on. Um, Incidentally, just just before we move on from this, there is one other thing that I think is really striking and sort of quirky in the the Hanbury numbers. I think it's a useful reflection for me of um, how we shouldn't just see voters in the sort of the blocks that are marched up and down the hill. That if you look at these cross breaks of who says that they'd be likely or unlikely to vote for the Brexit Party or Change UK, they're absolutely not the splits that you you might expect in some of them. So. Um, leave and remain voters are absolutely not falling into the blocks in the way that you might think. So 
<clears throat> the Brexit Party, sure, 40, 48% of Leavers say that they're considerate, but so do 18% of Remainers. Um, and Change UK, 33% of Remainers say that they'd vote for them. 24% of Leavers say that they would be likely to vote for them. So, I mean, I think there's sort of there's there's a danger in interpreting the electorate here as, as sort of in intractable blocks, and we sort of we've got 52% here and 48% there, and maybe maybe one side is now 45 and the other side's 55. But I think actually what these remind us is that reality is a lot more messy in terms of how people are engaging with parties. Well, that reminds me of a, a comrades poll I was looking at because um, I, I, one of the things I've been thinking about both day job and just for this pod was like how pollsters are going to really have to think carefully about how they treat smaller parties in their voting intention polls, whether it's Westminster or Europe or whatever it is, um, because that's going to be a real challenge. So, for example, um, often smaller parties are treated as other. You know, you, you ask, would, would you vote Lab, Con, Lib, and then Plaid or SNP if you're in Scotland or Wales, uh, Wales or Scotland, and then other. And then if you say other, then you, you, you say, OK, would you vote UKIP, Green, um, Brexit Party, whatever it might be. Um, but then how you, how you treat these smaller parties, particularly in a European parliamentary election, is going to have an impact on um, you know what numbers they get. So, for example, I, not picking on comrades, I was just trying to I was just looking at their um, their tables before we came on air, um, and they seem to treat I think they seem to treat Change UK as a, on the on the first page um, as as almost a, a prompt uh, a party that they prompt for on the basis that they do have a separate um, table in their tables. Um, with other that has UKIP and the Greens and so on. Now they they tend to have uh, changed UK around sort of nine, I think nine percent in their most recent Westminster VI poll. So um, you know how you how you ask about, ask the question is very very important. And what I would advise people to do who are reading the polls, I'm not going to pass judgment on the rights and wrongs because we don't know yet. Um, but do pay attention to how the methodology um, is, is done for these polls and whether the smaller parties are prompted or whether they're treated as an other and so on. That's going to be very important. I strongly suspect, for example, and again, this isn't saying that we're right or wrong, but I strongly suspect that Ipsos will produce um, uh, lesser numbers for some of these smaller parties, at least in Westminster VI, because um, we're on the telephone at the moment. And um, for the other parties, the, the respondent has to actively tell you who that party is. It's, it's not prompted. So the chances are um, that we might have l lesser numbers for the smaller parties. And that might mean Ipsos get egg on their face, or it might mean that they, they do better. So you've got to take into account methodology and uh, how the questions are asked with some of these polls as well. I know there's a strong temptation for people I, I, to cherry I mean, pick this, a bit. It's just, it's just so important, isn't it? Because this will directly feed back into the debate. Um, if, if all the pollsters were or if a large majority of the polls, regardless of whether it's most of the pollsters, but if just a large majority of the polls were being published, put Change UK on, say, 9%, 10%, 11%, then they get taken much more seriously than if the pollsters were putting them on 3%, 4%. And that then feeds back into how much they're invited on to, uh, to give interviews, how, how much their, their stories are featured in the, on the front page of the papers. And it becomes... Uh, vicious or virtuous for them, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I think the reason I brought it up with the comrades point, because you mentioned how um, the cross breaks didn't necessarily um, make immediate sense uh, in, in terms of where people were drawing their support from. So Change UK, for example, I looked at the Remain Leave cross breaks. I think they were getting 11% of their support. So let's, sorry, the other way around. 11% of Remainers were voting for Change UK, but 8% of Leavers. Um, right. And, and yeah. I don't know, you know, why is that? Is that actually because here's a here's a proposition? Is it actually because the person doing the poll doesn't really know who they are? 
and they just see this this change UK party there, which sounds like a bit of a none of the above, and they're picking it? Or is it because Change UK is genuinely getting support from Remain and Leave? Yeah, um, well, just like, just like the Lib Dems uh, in the pre-coalition days were very much the protest party and very much the the sort of the the major none of the above party. Is is that a space that Change UK are uh, are going to play in? Uh, effectively, of people who want a serious mainstream party, but they want one that looks like it's the the alternative. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to know, but I mean, like I said, you could you could that, there could be a warning sign there as well, though, Leo, the other way, right? Which is that people don't really know people doing these polls don't really know who they are. Um, in great numbers, so they're just sort of picking them. And does that mean I don't know? I think we need to be very careful about how we interpret some of these polls. Um, and I would I, I think one of the things to look at um, I would advise people as well beyond the headline numbers is the enthusiasm gap. So Hanbury um, seemed to suggest that Remainers were much more likely to show up um, at the European elections than Leavers, um, which kind of you know instinctively makes sense. Um, Leavers feel a bit disgruntled about how Brexit's going. Um, Remainers are obviously very you know, motivated at the moment to try and get that second referendum. But that's something I would advise people also look at when they look at European parliamentary polling that inevitably is going to come out in the next couple of weeks. What do Remainers and Leavers say in terms of turnout? Because that's going to be really important too. Um, and um, and do we think that their uh, voting intent European numbers have been weighted to take or filtered to take that into account? I'm guessing they they say they say turnout oh. has been taken into account. It's not it's not 100 clear how right, how I they've see. done how they've done that. Okay, because um, as you as you say, there is a big gap. I mean, there's there's an eight point gap between Remainers and Leavers saying that there'd be ten out of ten likely to vote. Um, so sort of yeah remain as a what about 15 percent more likely than leavers to mm. vote so that potentially has a big difference if that's born out in reality and it could be sampling or it could be something genuine so we, we need to look at more polls than just one as ever um but this is just the one that we've got available at the moment uh, that's more recent to um to look at let's um finish briefly um on no deal um, I guess it feels like it's shrunk as a possibility purely on the basis that the deadline's um, been extended for Brexit. Um, but what, what, there was some controversy, wasn't there, over some YouGov polling? Well, there was a bit of bit of fun. I mean, controversy in the extremely limited world of uh, pollsters getting irate about uh, the media. We, we don't get out uh, much, do we? So, you know, let's call it Well, uh, you know, you've got, you got, got to shout at Radio 4 sometimes. Um so uh, essentially, the, uh, this was an argument about how how far it was fair that um, a YouGov poll was being used to describe um, uh, the public as supporting No Deal or being most favourable to No Deal or um, uh, uh, seeing it as their preferred option. And you know, just just one example: a tweet from Stephen Kinnock, Labour MP. Um, had to pause for a minute. He hasn't defected yet, as he know he is still a Labour MP. Um, uh, I'm not saying a second referendum would be undemocratic, um, though presumably no deal would have to be on the ballot paper, as that's what 40% of the electorate now want. See latest YouGov polling. To which a YouGov pollster, Chris Curtis, uh, in all capitals, it is not true that 40% of the electorate want no deal, and that is not what our polling shows. Um, does it show it? Well, it sort of depends how you interpret it, right? Yes. So um, I think I haven't got the polling numbers from you go in front of me, but I think ultimately what they seem to suggest was in a world where 
there is a choice purely between leaving with no deal and an extension in a world where I think I think I'm right saying the question wording said something like the EU has refused um, a further extension and those are the only choices or words to that yeah, effect. Yeah, if Britain has not agreed a deal by April 12th, what do you think should happen? And there were, there were essentially two sets of options. And that 40% figure comes from the first option when they were given no, uh, respondents were given no deal, extension, remain, or don't know. So no deal, extension, remain, or don't know. And the winning of, of those, of the options there is no deal with 40%. Uh, remain is then 36% and the extension is 11%. Um, there's then a subsequent one where they take out uh, extension as an option, so a runoff between no deal and remain, and no deal very narrowly wins 44-42. So, um, yeah, I think, I guess, I, I think perhaps boringly, both of us might be in the same place here, that I feel like, yeah, I don't think you can say 40% of the public want no deal, uh, but in the very specific case where people were asked, how would you react in this in this case uh, where we ran out of time, twelfth uh, of twelfth of April, um, and what should we do? Which wasn't a totally hypothetical or unrealistic situation. I mean, it wasn't far from where we got to. And, it, and just because that's not what what's going to turn up uh, turn up as the option tomorrow doesn't mean that won't be one day. Yeah, it doesn't mean it won't be in say, October that actually the EU turns around and says, "No, now you really do have to decide." Um, but I, to be honest, even, even, but even I mean, so you're referring <laughs> to the second option there, where there was where there was just no deal versus remain. But in that first set of options, no deal extension remain. Um, I mean, that that was what was on the table effectively, and the one we went for was the most unpopular. It was uh, it lost to don't know. Like like Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn, it was uh, less popular than Prime Minister Don't Know. But for me, the question here is, I, I think No Deal's underpriced a little bit, and I'll come to some comrades polling briefly in a moment on this. But I think that the um, if No Deal becomes the default of Brexiters and also um, forms the basis of somebody's um, campaign for a Tory leader then I think that it's generally possible that it becomes um, even the policy of the government. Now, you can debate, I mean, we were talking about off-air, you can debate about whether it would get through Parliament and all the rest of it. But I think actually, I mean, there is public acceptance, if not, um, um, if it's not the preferred option. I think there is more acceptance of it among leavers than people realise. So to put some numbers to that, Comrades had some polling out which asked whether a series of options were acceptable or not on a five-point scale, sorry, four-point scale. So... Um, very or somewhat acceptable. So let's let's rattle through these. Revoking Article 50 and remaining, 40% acceptable. Um, leaving with no deal on April 12th, 38% um, acceptable. Leave of May's deal, 32. Long delay, 34. Nationwide referendum between May's deal and remain, 38. Um, a second nationwide referendum between remain and leave, 39. So all, all quite similar. Now, when you factor in the nets, when you take away unacceptable from acceptable, I'm not going to read out all of the numbers, uh, but I, funnily enough, the, the most... Um, uh, I don't know if you can call it popular, but with minus six, revoking Article 50 was the one with the best net score. Um, but uh, but leaving with a, without a deal was only minus 11. Um, and that, I think that was either, it was either second or third on the list. I'm trying to, I think it might have been third of the uh, six. They're all pretty close though, aren't they're they? They're all when you, pretty when close. When you do the nets, and obviously the thing about nets is you're, you're doubling it. So you add add one, so and with scores and, down quickly. And with Conservative voters, May's deal was very much the preferred. 
Um, but um, no deal was second among, among Tory voters, probably not surprising as the Brexit option. But I guess what I'd just reiterate is if, if no deal becomes, because if you assume that May's deal is not going to happen now, and I don't see why a long extension has made it more likely, then if no deal becomes something that continuously is talked about, is continuously advocated by uh, sort of hard um, leave campaigners, I don't see why support for it won't grow. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm just saying in public opinion terms, I think that um, it's got to be taken seriously. We should we should just get out. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, may- maybe. I mean, I think you've you've also got to recognise the huge barrier that of Tory MPs, uh, a significant number of Tory MPs apparently. Um, being so opposed to it that they have said that they would leave the party uh, if that became the party policy. So um, there is there is an institutional barrier. Um, just uh, just one one other uh, thing that strikes me. I think on the pod before we've uh, looked at the question is asked something similar, which um, was Matt Singh's poll um, for number crunch politics that had asked um, whether polls were ex- uh, various responses were acceptable or not, and um, May Steele had done quite well on that, and I mm-hmm. think was. Uh, I think we've mentioned a couple of times that although it was no one's favourite, it did quite well in terms of not being strongly disliked. So it's quite surprising here to see that it actually um, did, I think it does the worst on all the net scores, uh, or maybe maybe uh, just very close to being the worst, uh, which is quite striking, um, that it perhaps seems to have drifted down a bit. Though the one thing that's quite quite striking on it is that uh, it also actually has the fewest people who consider it not at all acceptable. Um, so Maysteel is very much grouped in the middle. Um, the, the I think it's um, got the largest number of people who consider it either somewhat acceptable or only not very acceptable. So it's sort of it's got very few fans, but relatively few strident opponents. And one of the things I'm wondering about, and I guess we'll have to wrap up soon, but one of the things I'm wondering about is um, logic set. I mean, there is a logic, isn't there, that um, someone like Boris Johnson won't be able to make the final two in any Tory leadership race because of uh, reasons you sort of alluded to, that people will keep him off the ballot and that sort of thing. Um, But at the same time, are are we going to get two Tory leadership candidates both advocating for some sort of backstop arrangement? I mean, that feels unlikely, um, but I Mm. guess we'll have to... We'll have to wait on and see. Well, on that. or will will they? Will one of them get through on the basis of a unicorn? Will mm. they um, ride ride their sparkly rainbow unicorn all the way to? We'll renegotiate the backstop and uh, get through that way. Of course, this is assuming there's going to be a contest at all. I mean, maybe Theresa May has designs on being there at Halloween after all. Um, <laughs> all they have to do is vote for her deal, and then she'll go. <laughs> vote for me, and then I'll leave. Uh, what a campaign slogan. Um, that's all we've got time for for this week's uh, Political Betting Polling Matters podcast. Uh, big thanks to Leo Barassi as usual. Uh, some great numbers to pour over there. Um, as ever, if you like what you hear, folks, please do share us on social media and elsewhere or tell a friend about us. It all helps uh, get new listeners uh, for the pod. Um, and if you can really see your way to helping us out, why not give us a uh, positive rating on iTunes or Spotify or other apps uh, where you can find the show. Uh, but for now, thanks as ever uh, for listening. Um, do get in touch for any suggestions or questions you have for future episodes. Um, But for now, have a good weekend.